Hello, you're listening to the Mr. Money Jar podcast. Mr. Money Jar here. This episode is taken from an Instagram live and has been uploaded in its entirety. This means that some of what you hear may seem odd in an audio format. For example, there might be references to questions that appeared during the live, plus some audience interaction, and very rarely some swearing or audio mishaps. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. How's it going? Episode 42 of the Mr. Money Jar Show. And today we're going to be joined by Ella Weinberg, founder of Ella Insures. And we're going to be talking about insurance and when to buy it. So um, if you've ever bought a phone or an expensive piece of tech, you begin the option to insure it. You may be wondering whether it's a good idea to do so or not. So we're going to be talking about the primary considerations that one might have before they take out an insurance product and the circumstances under which that might happen. I can see that Ella's already in the chat, so let's see if we can invite her in. Oh, looks like they've, looks like they've oh, the request has come through. Hey. How's it going? Not bad. How are you? Good, good. Um, are you you based in, in London? I only asked because it's been a really nice sunny day today and I'm hoping some of those vibes have come, come your way as well. Yeah, definitely. The office is full of glass, so when it's nice oh, outside, sweet. it definitely radiates to the inside of the office. <laughs> okay, nice. You get, you get that nice magnification effect. Yeah. <laughs> Wicked. So let's let's jump into the conversation because I think I think going to help a lot of people today. Sure. Um, first off, just introduce yourself. Um, tell everyone um, about what you do and uh, how how long you've you've been running Ella Insures. Um, okay, so hi guys, I'm Ella. Um, Ella Insures is my brand. So I am an FCA regulated insurance specialist. So what that means is I put in place insurance products for different individuals, personal and business. Um, but what it allows me to do is assess um, the needs and circumstances of a client and then put in place the relevant products. So anything from life insurance, critical illness, income protection, if it's a business, it might be shareholder protection, key man, um, of course, protecting assets, you might be an actual shop itself. Um, so pretty much every type of insurance, minus your car, your pet, um and then some bits of travel insurance if it's attached to like private healthcare, but otherwise you name it i cover it okay cool thank you and how did you get into this because we've had another insurance expert on the show before who i think you know amida yeah and she had, a good um, colleague of mine oh wicked and she had quite a personal um kind of story to how she got into insurance but what, what's your story so mine is very very different to yeah. um amida's i'll be very honest so i Bought my home or first property when I was like 26. Had an understanding of insurance um, from previous family members and things like that. I actually had an uncle that passed away. So it was always something that I was aware of. Right. But like many, 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 I just assumed it was your typical life insurance. And that was it. I thought that was the only thing you could get. So I got the cover when I got my mortgage. Thought I was like proactive. Then I had my son a few years later and saw online that someone was doing review of policy. So I thought, oh, it's a free consultation, I'll do that. 
And then I met with the individual, they sat me down and they went through all my needs and, um, and circumstances, told me what I needed, what I didn't need, what I could need, adjusted it to budget, what was great for my son. And I didn't realize that was a real thing. And I was right. literally just like mesmerized from then. I thought, like, what the, budget, I did, the budget adjustment aspect you didn't realize was a thing. Right. I didn't realize, I didn't even know that there was such a thing as critical illness cover or income protection. Um, I didn't realize that there was cover that you can't get on a term. So, for example, like a whole of life, I thought every life policy was just on a term for a mortgage. Yeah. I thought, you know, the same way you get like buildings and contents for your home was the same way you get life insurance for the mortgage. I didn't know that there was anything else. And I did my cover online on moneysupermarket.com, came up with the first one that was the most affordable. And then honestly, for the same, for £10 more, after I had my consultation, I got life cover, critical illness, and the mortgage covered for £10 more. Yet the policy I'd put in place for myself, thinking I was like, you know, super efficient, was clearly rubbish because I didn't know what yeah. I was doing. And then yes. I was literally sold from there. I knew I wanted to get into the industry. I couldn't believe that so many people weren't aware of this. Um, and yeah, it's good getting cover, but actually having a conversation with an individual, I didn't know it was a thing. Awesome stuff. Um, and yeah, I, I recently, I'd say in the last year or two, learned about the fact that um, insurance, the price of insurance products can be scaled to meet particular circumstances. Um, what I really want people to get from this conversation is yeah. not to think as a consumer about taking out insurance products fr from the perspective of an insurance expert such as yourself. Mm -hmm. So if we start off with um, more, we'll call them like the quote-unquote, less serious uh, types yeah. of insurance. If you buy a phone yeah. or a train ticket or a, a plane ticket or something like that, what sorts of things should, should you be thinking about that would make you go, I want to take out, I want to insure this holiday, you know, take out insurance for this holiday I'm going on. I want to insure this laptop I'm buying versus not. Because it's always presented to you as an option, either by the person who's selling you the item or in your user journey on the website. Mm -hmm. And certainly for me, historically, I never really knew whether I should be taking out insurance at that point or not. Yeah. Um, so what's interesting is because we're obviously in the middle of a pandemic and that is a great example to you. So of course, yeah, you take out, like you said, um, take out a laptop, a phone, whatever the gadget may be. And yes, it's always presented to you as an option. Now, the reason it's presented to you as an option is because chances are it's gonna be more costly to replace the item upfront immediately than it is if you have the insurance. So it's yeah. about thinking of the consequences. And of course, the sooner you get it, the better. Giving COVID as a prime example in regards to a holiday, I'm sure many of us had holiday booked or plane tickets or things like that under no circumstances thought that they wouldn't be able to fly, that the holiday wouldn't be able to go ahead. And these are the things that are included in an insurance policy that you take for granted. And then it's when you least expect them are in a position to take advantage of it. So it goes the same for personal protection, life cover, critical illness, income protection. It's always when you need it that you don't have it. So the earlier you get it, even though you're in a prime position thinking you won't have to take advantage of it, is the best time to get it because that's exactly what it is. It's a contingency plan. It's there for when you least expect it. Okay, so uh, it's like the Chris Rock. I don't, I'm not sure if you've seen his stand-up, but he says that uh, you get insurance just in case. Absolutely. 
Okay, so for me, historically with phones, I've never ever insured a, a phone before. Okay. My insurance has always been to buy a phone case on Amazon. Okay. So would you say that in that circumstance, that's me weighing up the pros and cons of going, okay, I reckon I pro if I'm just careful with it and I put a case on it, I'll be fine. Um, you know what? I like to group phone, phone or cover for your phone with your home insurance. So the way I look at it is, if something happened tomorrow and you had to replace every single item in your house, would you be able to do it? God forbid. Let's just say yeah. God sent down the floods, you know, or the house gets blown over, whatever it might yeah. be. Yeah. God forbid, you're walking on the street and then, you know, something happens to the contents of your bag and chances are the phone is in the bag, right? Are you in a position to replace all of that? Usually we're not. Or certainly if we are, we don't want to. We've worked really hard to save, put in place emergency funds. Last thing we want to do is go and take that money to replace everything that we've already worked hard for in the, in the original circumstance. So if you've definitely got your phone listed on your home insurance, um, where then all of the contents of your household in are included, and especially if you've got personal possessions cover included on your policy as well, which is usually another one that most people overlook, Personal possessions allows you, literally like what I was saying, the contents of your handbag, the contents of your man bag, just in case if anything happens, you can replace it. <laughs> I, like, I like the gender equality on that. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Of course, of course. Yeah. Um, oh, we have, oh, this is, a, this is a Mr. Money Jar show first. We have a non-financial question here. Okay. From the Stepmoms Club. And it's, Ella, why are you buff like this? With oh, three questions. <laughs> Thank you, Priscilla. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, and finance uh, workout has just said, great stuff. I'd love to hear more about income protection. Yes, uh, finance workout. We're going to get on to um, some of the other types of insurance. Uh, Adrian D says, when insurance is pushed to you alongside the purchase, it's usually not value for money. Seeking insurance elsewhere will more likely find you more like find the lower premium. Do you agree with that? Do you agree with actually shopping around and that one, uh, and apologies to if there's any mortgage brokers on the um, on the live. Usually, yes, it can be more cost effective to have a conversation with an insurance advisor than it can be to have a conversation with a broker. Now, and I'll set the scene for you. You buy your home, a lot of mortgage lenders, it's not compulsory for all of them, but a lot of mortgage lenders are now adding it as a stipulation that when you buy your home, you need some form of insurance to protect the mortgage. Now, as a broker, they're fantastic. They know where to source the mortgage from, which, you know, which bank, which lender is going to be the best matching your circumstances. They're not an insurance specialist. Mm -hmm. so the way they set up the mortgage for you is not the way they're going to set up the insurance for you, mm -hmm. which is when then an insurance specialist. So I don't recommend shopping around and doing it yourself. I've been there, like I said, I did my own policy when I started out at 24 and it was rubbish. But having a conversation with a financial advisor, you're in a position to break down cover. You, you know, your mortgage advisor might say, just have X so it covers the mortgage. Whereas in actual fact, there can be a way to tailor the policy so it's still really affordable for you, but you still got adequate protection. Um, and of course, it just means that there's a greater understanding placed on your needs and circumstances because you're speaking to an insurance specialist. So there's nothing about the market, about the providers, about the claim statistics, about the level of cover that they're not going to know in comparison to a mortgage specialist who, yes, can put in cover or put cover in place, but it's not something that they specialize in. So there can be small things that they might miss. 
which then makes it more cost um, that makes it less cost effective or more expensive. Awesome, that's a very comprehensive answer. Thank you, Ella, and I hope that helps you, Adrian. Um, so, continuing where we were, so you for everyday items or for things like holidays, you basically want to weigh up whether you think you could cover the cost mm. of the item that you're purchasing, just in case stuff happens. Okay. Fine. Um, what are some of the um, <clears throat> things that people can do to make sure that if they have to claim on insurance for something like contents, uh, that they can claim? I'm thinking, for example, of taking photographs of items and so on. Yeah. So um, the great thing is with, for example, contents insurance. So, for example, like the contents insurance that I like to put in place for clients, we will list any valuable items over the amount of two and a half thousand. And the reason that is, is because with policies, whenever there is an item that exceeds that value, you're absolutely right. They're going to want images. They're going to want maybe a receipt to justify <laughs> yeah. purchase the item originally. Exactly. And to also ascertain its value. Um, and chances are, you know, if you've got an item over the value of two and a half thousand, then you should be able to obtain that information really quickly because, of course, it's of significant value. Anything under two and a half thousand, if you have something like personal possessions or you have something like accidental damage cover included on the policy, many of the providers, certainly the ones that I work with, won't require proof. What they will either say is because it's accidental damage, things happen in the home, the dog... <laughs> you know, ran into the TV, someone yeah. had a party and spilled a glass of wine. These things happen. So when you've got little clauses built into your policy, it actually requires less of you as the client, making the claims process so much easier. And I'll give an example. I had a fam family heirloom. I had a ring that required, um, basically I'd lost the diamond. It was a family heirloom piece. Where on mm -hmm. earth was I finding the receipt for that when it had been passed down from Nan to Mum to me? Sure. But because it was under the value of two and a half thousand and I had personal possessions and accidental damage included on my policy, I literally just emailed them, said, look, the diamond's gone missing. What can I do? They said, send over a picture of the damage so we can see that it's damaged. And they said, you can either go and have it valued at a jeweler that you recommend and we will cover the cost to replace it or repair it. Or you can send it to us and we can do it. I had okay. a jeweler I was familiar with. The ring is sorted. I'm wearing it now on my finger absolutely resolved just because i had those two elements included on the policy paid the excess of 100 pounds job done again another comprehensive answer so for my fiance jenny her uh, engagement ring is um in a similar situation where it's a, it's a minimum so you basically want to make sure you have photographs of it and maybe get it appraised and then absolutely yeah. okay that's good to know i think she's watching this so uh, <laughs> let's get on that um, and Doozy Nugget has commented saying, I feel like my home and life insurance isn't enough after only hearing this short piece. Wow. Doozy, follow at Ella. Yes, absolutely. I think clients, individuals, people should be reviewing their cover regularly. It's not fun. But if you've got an advisor, I kind of like to build up a relationship with my clients. I'll text you, I'll WhatsApp you. Hey, by the time I've had a chat with you, I know you personally, you know, I know your personal information. So I know if you're expecting, I know how many children you've got. <laughs> I know if you're not interested in kids and it's just you on your own. So your advisor should be checking in and saying, look, it's been a few months now or it's been a year. Has anything changed? Do we need to review your policy? Absolutely. Keep on reviewing it just so you know you've got adequate cover in place. Awesome. Awesome. Um, okay, so let's. Let's uh, move on the conversation then. So uh, for people who are of our age group, and I'm thinking men and women 
aged between uh, 18 to you know, mid 30s, early 40s, what sorts of um, insurance should we be looking at taking out? And what kinds of life stages or circumstances can we, can we link those types of products to? Okay, so the very first cover that I'll speak about is life and critical illness cover combined. Now, your traditional critical illness cover pays out in the event that you're diagnosed with a critical illness. Heart attack, stroke, loss of a limb, um, you know, uh, a diagnosis of something critical. Um, a great question I get asked is COVID-19 classified as a critical illness. It's not, but when it reaches a certain stage, which is connection to a ventilator or oxygen mask, it can then be classified as a critical illness. Interesting. So, these are the things that at 18, 25, 30 even, we don't think we need to consider because we're great, we're healthy, we're fit now. But naturally, health deteriorates as we go along. But the earlier you get the policy, the more affordable it is. So for example, someone getting cover at 30, paying 30 pounds a month may only be able to acquire, for example, 40,000 pounds worth of cover. Let's just take in, you know, BMI's perfect, medical history's perfect, all of that into the equation. In comparison to someone who is 18 or 20, paying 30 pounds a month, may be able to get something like 150,000 pounds worth of cover, okay. maybe even 200. So of course, it's really great the earlier you get it, the better because of the payout. Money is not the answer to everything. However, if you want to be in a position to pay for private health care or private treatment to expedite your recovery, that's what a critical illness lump sum will do. You know, if you need to take time off work, because not every employer, let's be honest, can maintain your position and keep it open for you. If you're off sick, it can supplement your income. If you've got dreams and goals like buying a property and you've saved, like I said, emergency funding, you don't want to have to deplete those for any reason. Again, the critical illness policy can make sure that that can happen. So that's a great example, for example, of someone who's got no kids, nothing going on. Now, another great reason to take out a policy is because for women who may be expecting children, so let's just say you're in the later 20s, early 30s, if you've got a critical illness policy, it can protect you against pregnancy complications. It can also be available for the child, for when the child is born. So again, it's another great reason to get cover because we don't know when we might start a family. We know that we have intentions. And again, you want to have cover in place beforehand rather than after, again, just to mitigate any circumstances. I always say, look, money is not the answer. It's not. Happiness is. But if you're in a position to expedite a recovery or just make, you know, living through something a little bit easier, then that's where the funds come in to help. As we sometimes say, money may not solve all your problems, but it will solve all your money problems. There we go. <laughs> um, we have uh, a few, few more questions have come in, uh, just dipping into the comments. Catfish, not a catfish. Um, <laughs> my, great name. My mortgage broker is pushing vitality insurance, but the rewards feel quite gimmicky to me. So not sure if worth paying more. Any thoughts on this? By the way, we don't dislike mortgage brokers. No, um, I love all. them. I like yeah. to work with them. <laughs> you put in place the mortgage and I'll put in place the insurance and then what you've got is an absolutely great team on your hands and so another example is of course because mortgage brokers are independent and they don't necessarily work under a brokerage they don't always have access to all providers it doesn't mean that they're going to prioritize one over the other but it just means they don't have access to everything prime example being vitality 
I would always steer away from vitality. I'm being incredibly honest, but I would always steer away from vitality apart from private healthcare. And for that exact reason is because the benefits that are included in the policy, they're a little bit gimmicky. They love to get the, you know, the clients with free Apple Watch. It's not a free Apple Watch. It's an Apple Watch on a 0% APR that you then pay monthly. Priced in, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Built into your cover. There are, Vitality is actually one of the youngest insurance providers. So if we think about claim statistics, um, you know, their customer service and their claim success rate, they're always going to have the less or the lesser out of all of the providers in comparison to guys like Royal London, who have been going since, you know, the early 1900s, who actually created cover deliberately for things like what we call now GoFundMe's. They realized not everyone had enough money for things like funerals. And so that's why they started the company. Scottish Widows, been going for years. As an insurance specialist, we know these things. So we know that if you're going to go with Royal London and anything happens, the claim process is going to be smooth. Or if you're stuck with vitality, A, if you're diagnosed with a critical illness, they may potentially only give you a percentage. So if you've got £50,000 and you're diagnosed with low-stage breast cancer, they may only pay you 25% of that 50000 because they don't deem it significant enough to give you the 400%. Personally, I don't think anyone should be in a position to dictate to me how much of my cover I'm going to get if I've been diagnosed with something. Yes. Also, the claims process, because they're quite new, yes, they've been going, I think it's about 2006, but in comparison to the other providers, they're still quite new. So the, the process isn't as seamless in comparison to other providers. And again, I think if you're diagnosed with a critical illness, you want things to be as smooth as possible. You worry about your recovery, let your advisor process your claim for you, and then you just wait for the money to fall into your bank for you to use as you see fit. Awesome. We have another question here. It's from uh, Abisoj Q. Uh, so how does third-party indemnity work then for personal items? Uh, when it's third-party indemnity, there will be clauses built into it because, of course, it's third-party, so it won't be as comprehensive. Um, and I'm trying to, to be honest, it's a bit difficult without looking at an existing policy. Something mm -hmm. like that is something that you would want to review, understand the reason why the client's got the policy in place, and then make a comparison to either a new policy, or, for example, if it's like in relation to a business, you might want to have your public indemnity, your, prof your, your public liability, your professional indemnity, and then your third-party cover all built into one. But like I said, there will be terms and conditions if it's not just a standard contents cover. Thank you. And uh, last comment I'll take and then we continue our discussion. It's from Bouncy Feet Castle Hire, um, a regular on the show. Great to, great to hear from you. And it's, is there anything available for, for over 80s? And if I could broaden that question out, could you talk in general about the relationship between someone's age and the types of products that they're able to take out and the scope of protection that they get? Absolutely. So each provider will definitely have some sort of clause or term or, or you know, specification as to when a client can get cover incepted. So when it can begin. With Royal London, for example, you can still get cover up to the age of 85. And with the majority of the other providers, it's usually about 70. Um, but essentially, if you're 85 years and younger, there is a product available for everyone. However, of course, you just then have to factor in the cost. If we are closer to the age of 80, it's always going to be more expensive. Um, more expensive. And the reason that is, is, of course, it's all down to life expectancy. A guy's life expectancy at the moment is round about 
you know, rounding up the decimal points, but it's about 81 and women it's 84. So if you're getting cover at, you know, 82, then from an insurance perspective, it's we're going to need to pay out this cover in a short space of time. So which yeah. is why it always makes cover more expensive. However, there is always something available for someone um, for anyone, should I say. Over the age of 68, you maybe want to considering your whole of life policies. These are policies that have no end term, means they only pay out when you pass away. And it's a great way of not cheating yourself. It's making sure that you've got relevant cover in place, usually enough to cover the cost of a funeral, but you're not worried about the policy expiring before you potentially pass away, meaning that you've passed away with nothing in place, yet you were originally paying for a policy and no one's benefited from it. And then of course, if you're at the earlier end, so not the latter end, but if you're, for example, like 18, 20, 21, then chances are you're going to be looking at policies with a term, but they're going to be fitting your circumstances. So a critical illness you might want to have in place until age 70 or 68 in line with retirement to cover your income. If you've already got children, you might want to get a whole of life as early as possible because, of course, as we know, you can increase cover as much as possible. But the fact that you secured it young, you know, and you've got something really affordable. If you're only paying £20 for a £30,000 payout, chances are £20 will probably still be affordable when you're 85 with your pension and everything, you know, all the other benefits you've got in place. So it's definitely about assessing your needs and circumstances, but there is cover available for everyone, providing you're not past age 85. <laughs> awesome. Uh, we, and we have a comment here from Financial Future You saying, already feeling more informed. You and me both. I love getting insurance um, experts on the show because whilst I can speak to insurance in general terms, um, very you can be sure that you'll get a great amount of depth having people like Ella on the show. So thank you so much. Thank you. Um, okay, so let's let's continue with the conversation. We've covered life. We've covered critical illness, um, income protection, which, as I understand it, because I, I was doing some uh, research um, in advance of this show. One of the websites I went on said it wasn't available because of COVID-19. Ah, uh, right. So to break it down, before COVID-19 hit, we had what was known as your income protection, which essentially covers you if you signed off work sick, but it did cover you for redundancy and unemployment. Yes. Now, COVID-19 hit, and it was literally March 14th, uh, March 13th, March 14th last year. And of course, the problem was, was because we was now about to head into lockdown on the 20th, in regards to cover, so if you had an existing policy, fantastic, you were fine. fine. Yeah. Anything moving forward, with anything that you put in place, there is a data capture or application form, and there is a specific question, are you at risk of redundancy or unemployment? The problem at that moment was the entire country was. We had no idea how it was going to affect businesses. Yeah. So that is why they actually had to remove the unemployment and remove the redundancy element because even though someone may be on furlough, it doesn't mean that they're not at risk of redundancy. And the economy isn't strong enough yet to be able to allow the product to return. However, yeah. a big misconception that a lot of people don't realise is you're going to be signed off work sick about five times more likely than you're going to be diagnosed with a critical illness. And of course, with a critical illness, you're going to be diagnosed far more times...
Oh, um, it looks like uh, it looks like Ella has um, been frozen out. Um, if you can hear me, just let me know in the in the comments. We'll see if we can get her back in. Um, I mean, this this wouldn't be alive if it didn't. Yeah. Oh no! Just when we got to income protection. Okay, you guys can hear me. Thank you. Um, we'll wait for her to come in, and then we'll add her back in because she was she was mid flow and dropping all kinds of gems. Um. Just sending. I've got my. Uh, I've got my other phone here, so I'm just gonna send her a message. Hey, Ella. Um, lost you. You able to jump back in? Ah, she's back. This is, you know, these things happen. Um, no, but the, but the people, people stayed. We want to hear your your mid 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 flow on income protection. I think the last the last thing we heard from you is you're talking about how um, there were the different elements. Um, so because of the economy and the unemployment, the redundancy element, yeah, the risk, but. Um, do you, but you're far more likely to be signed off work sick than, than so. anything else. Yeah, that's so true. And even though it's not covering us at the moment for unemployment and redundancy from a particular occupation, what income protection does do is if you are working and you're signed off sick, or let's just say you leave a role and you then become sick whilst you're in between roles, you will still be covered because what that sickness has done is prevent you from seeking work. And this is a big misconception, which is why it's still great to have cover in place. You may have left your role, you know, quite happily to move into another one. Let's just say it didn't come through. All of a sudden you find yourself sick. You're not in a position to carry on seeking employment. You will still be covered. Um, so yeah, again, it's my favorite policy. I'm such an advocate for anything financial. And I think we work so hard to put in place savings, emergency funds, investments. We've got things that we strive for. And every day we get up and we go to work. So protect the biggest thing that allows us to do everything else. Yeah, you will spend uh, you know, a third of your life for a decent chunk of your life simply exactly. working. Particularly when you count in um, commuting and all of the other bits of time that do add up, could we get some? Um, so you've talked, you've spoken about how it works, but could we get some illustrations? Could we go with you know a fictional employee? Yeah, um, how much they would pay for a policy and how much of a payout they would get? Just get, if you could, you create a picture for us. Okay, so let's take for example Jack. Now he is an IT consultant. 
Okay. He's earning £50,000 a year, saving for a property. So let's just say he's bringing home, I, don't, I can't think off the top of my head. It's like but three and a half say, grand, maybe. Pardon? Maybe about three and a half yeah, grand. Yeah, I think it's like three, four, something, something. Yeah, so let's just say he's bringing home three and a half, for example, now. Um, he's saving for a property, so he's got money tied up. He's an IT consultant, but he doesn't have any sick pay policy at work. He's been there however long. They pay him statutory sick pay when he signed off sick. Statutory sick pay is £94 a week. I think it's gone up just recently, £95. Of course, at the moment, his outgoings equate to 1500 So he's got about, you know, 2000 spare every month in terms of disposable income. But naturally, if he signed off work, the £95 over four weeks, each week over four weeks is only going to go so far. He then has in place an income protection policy. Now, mm. an income protection policy pays up to around 65 to 70%, depending on the provider, that might be best for you. We'll pay, but let's just take 65% of your gross annual income. So what you get before tax, another big, big misconception. So for example, if he's taken home three and a half after tax every month, then chances are he's going to be taking home maybe about 2,800, 900 in when claiming for on an income protection policy. Mm -hmm. The scenario, and again, to sort of help put things into perspective with the providers that I work with, he was signed off work for four months because he slept and fell and broke his ankle. Because of his income protection policy, he was paid £4,000 for simply breaking a bone because he suffered a fracture. He was then paid the 2800 every month because he was signed off for four months. And he was actually paid £600 because he had to stay in hospital for six nights. Now, because he's an IT consultant, what that meant was he actually needed to put in place certain measures for when he returned to work. What the provider then also did was paid him an additional benefit to make the transition of returning to work much easier for him. That meant the saving for the house could continue because, of course, he was bringing in 2,800. We know his outgoings were only 1,500. So he could continue to save make sure he maintained all of his monthly payments, didn't incur any debt, the credit card bill didn't grow, the savings remained, the emergency fund didn't have to be attacked, and life continued as normal. Then, six months later, he then came down with COVID, and COVID hit yeah. him really bad, and he was then signed off for another two months. Again, his income protection policy paid him out another 2,800, and then again, he returned. Oh, have we lost Ella again? Have we lost Ella again? Um, okay, well, hopefully Ella will drop out and then we can invite her back in again. Um, apologies for the technical difficulties this week um in, <laughs> uh 
Brixton Bell looks like Ella's frozen again. Internet media, she is so good. Ella's amazing. Um, I feel like the internet can't handle the level of expertise she's dropping, to be honest. Uh, Amit, time to top up the Wi-Fi meter, maybe. Yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully she actually drops out and then we can add her back. At the end of the conversation, um, and then we'll get into the rapid fire questions with her. But this is this is Instagram Live. These things happen. Really grateful to all of you for tuning in um, and for for sticking with. Um, I'm thinking in the long term we're going to have to look for a more stable way of doing this show. Can't be having guests dropping out. if we can message her again thanks for bearing with everyone hey Ella. so i literally would like it is something going wrong with our internet because i don't understand but i think it's oh you're Instagram. in you're in the office i am but do you know do you know what? I because the, the internet went at bang on half an hour. I wonder if it throttles it maybe. after a certain amount of time. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Because yeah, I can see my internet and it's absolutely fine. And then I took it off the Wi-Fi and it still wouldn't let me reconnect back to you. So interesting. Um so Jack we were just talking about Jack's life. Um, Jack's life and all of the income that he received. <laughs> falling to pieces but he put in policies which meant that he was covered yeah that's great um and just as the final uh, question on the on the kind of the more serious insurance policies yeah. um i want to talk to you about annuities do you cover annuities or or, or know about how how they work uh not so much no give me an example and then i can see if it crosses over just I think that it would be beneficial for people to understand, um, you know, when they're saving up their pension mm -hmm. over the course of their working life, how they then convert that pension pot into an income. Because I think there's a lot of misconceptions around that, even if you can speak about it at, at a high level. Um, so it's not something that I cover because I've actually got a colleague who is great at it but you're right there are several misconceptions about how you can turn it into an income and mm. there are many misconceptions as as to what you can actually do with your pension and the allowances that you have so for example being able to buy a property through your pension setting up a pension for your children um, mm. and then one of the biggest questions that i think i get asked as well in, re in regards to pensions is you know whether it's better to have like a self-invested or whether you should collate all of your other pensions and then move it over. Not everyone yeah. realises that some pension providers charge when you leave them. So as you say, you had a pension, you know, that with an old job several years ago, we move on as we do, got the pension sitting in the background. That provider, however, you know, charges you, for example, for leaving them. Now, what you can do is actually go onto gov.uk see where all of your pensions are. So you entering your details so you can see where all of your different pensions are registered, find out exactly where everything is. And then the trick is to move all of your pensions to the one that obviously charges. 
So then that way you're not incurring that fee for all of the others. Then, in all honesty, what I would do is I would have a conversation with someone who specializes in pensions and have an understanding of what you want your long-term goals to be in terms of estate planning. So, for example, when you want to retire, um, how much funds you're going to need to maintain your current lifestyle. So I think at the moment, the average equation is if you're earning a salary of 30000 then you need about 10 times your average salary to maintain your current lifestyle when you then want to take advantage of your pension. So what that means is we need to have 300,000 saved in the pension. Yeah, and then also to factor in there is the target replacement rate. So it's the idea that it's assumed that once you then come to take that pension income, you'll only need an amount that's two-thirds of what you were earning during the course of your working life because it's assumed your kids would have flown the nest if you've had any, you've had the mortgage paid off and so on and so forth. But sorry to jump no, no, no. A great point. Great point. So, yeah, definitely have a conversation just to understand what the goals are entirely. Um, and it all sort of comes down to, you know, planning your estate. It comes down to pensions, inheritance tax, making sure, for example, that everyone has been set up adequately. Um, another thing that I don't think I touched on, but if you've got any life cover, is making sure the life cover has been left in trust. So, for example, when people do stand to inherit property, and even if it's a whole-of-life policy, of course, that's the most important. Mortgages, absolutely. Any cover for the mortgage, you want it left in trust because then it avoids avoids the inheritance tax. But if you've got a whole-of-life, definitely, which is what you'll be considering alongside your pension, so you're investing into your pension, you've got your whole-of-life, and then you've got other relevant savings, you're now considering your estate as a whole, you want to make sure that you've got certain things left in trust and make sure you know that how each one is going to work alongside the other. So then that way, when the time does come to pass, you know what assets are passed over, you know what you can take advantage of and live off until you then come, you know, until life comes to an end. Um, and also what's affordable for you. That is number one. What's going to be affordable for you and that you can maintain. So definitely, I would say have a conversation with a pension specialist because they're great at allowing you to understand if you do want to buy a property what sort of, you know, reliefs you can get when actually doing it through your pension and things like that. And guys, by the way, this, this answer that Ella just gave is a I'm not very informed answer. Incredible. Yeah, no, I'm not. Pensions <laughs> is not my thing. It's not my thing. But my colleague is excellent about pensions and I've learned so much from her, but I wouldn't dare advise anyone on something that I'm not FCA regulated in. So like I said, it's definitely something that you have to consider when planning your estate and definitely long term because there's so much more that we can do with our pensions than what we actually appreciate totally definitely agree um uh just uh going dipping into the comments and then we'll head on to the rapid fire questions so working class investor says great info about grouping your pensions together um tax efficiency is key mm-hmm. and great info and then um, some love from Brixton Bell. Fantastic information. Thank you so much. And finance workout. A previous guest on the show, I might also add. Such a great show. Thank you both. Okay. Before Ella breaks the internet for a third and final time, we're going to jump into the rapid fire questions. Okay. So without any further ado, um, what's been your biggest financial achievement to date? Uh, buying my three-bedroom semi-detached property, um, which I completed on last month. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Very, very nice. Um, What one piece of money advice would you have given to yourself 10 years ago? Uh, 
that's a good one. Um, money advice I'd given to myself 10 years ago. Consider the future. Consider the future. So in terms of planning, uh, what I want to achieve. Like I said, I bought my first property sort of at a good age when I was like 25 turning 26. But I think... Are we still there? We haven't gone, have we? Yeah, yeah um, it broke up a bit, but I did get what you said. It came through in bits and pieces, so. Okay, thank, <laughs> thank goodness. Um, <laughs> um, let's just, let's, uh, yeah, continue to power through. Um, if you were to win the lottery, let's say you were to win 10 million pounds, how would you allocate that money? Um, okay, so I would buy more property because that's my thing. I would definitely invest some. I would have a conversation with several different advisors to make sure that I can A, make that 10 million last and probably turn it into 20. Love it. Absolutely love it. Um, what are your long-term money goals? If you look forward the next 10 years, where do you want to be? Um, okay, so long-term money goals. So like I was saying, I would say the home that my family is in is definitely the family home for my partner and my son. So it would probably be more uh, property investments, um, making sure that I've got significant residual income. So then that way I have a choice to get up and go to work as opposed to um, it being out of necessity. Um, yes. and then also making sure that I've set up my son financially um, as well. So then again, that he understands the power of currency um, and then has something to do with it. So I take, take money and then build a business or investments or whatever that is. Um, and then parents, definitely make sure my parents are okay. So that may be buying property for them or things like that. Awesome, awesome goals. And the final question is, what does success mean to you? Success to me means getting up every day and doing what you want to do and enjoying every single second of it. So for me, I would definitely say I am a successful woman because I've achieved things that I've wanted to achieve. So I've been able to tick them off. But Amazing. irrespective of whether that comes or not, every day I get up and I have a conversation with a client, irrespective of the outcome, I love what I do. So I think I'm successful. Um, and being kind of cool says, uh, great question, superb answers. Really love your take on success there. Even though this is a show about money, um, I think we're finding that a lot of the things that we consider to be success and um, markers of a, of a good life are actually not financial. It's to do with uh, how we spend our time, who we spend that time with, and with th about things like love and so on. Um, so thank you so much for coming on the show. Ah, uh, it's, it's frozen again. Have I still got you? Yes, yeah. Okay, wicked, wicked. Um, I was just, I was just saying, uh, 
Oh, you've actually typed in the chat box. I'm still here. Um, I was just going to ask you one final question, which is, is there anything you, anyone you want to shout out or anything you want to plug before we wrap up? Yeah, sure. So anyone looking to review a policy or consider a policy, drop me a DM or just book a consultation. Um, we can just have a chat. I can point you in the right direction, complete any information so you can under get an understanding of what you actually need. And we go from there, whether it's personal or business, feel free to have a chat with me and we can literally go from there. Because I think I just saw someone say, join late, but tips on where to look for life insurance. I'm where you look for life insurance because I think <laughs> it's best for you. <laughs> Love it. And on that bombshell, I'd uh, just like to say a massive thank you to you, Ella, for coming, spending time with us, sharing your, you know, your, just your nuggets of wisdom and your expertise with us. Thank you to everyone at home for thank tuning in, for, for bearing with us through what has been quite ridiculous uh, technical difficulties, oh, to be frank. Crazy. We'll be back here at the same time next week, uh, Monday. And uh, yeah, I hope everyone has a great rest of the week. Take care. Brilliant. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye-bye.